morning. It's really such a remarkable privilege for Jody and I to be with you here today. You are such an encouragement to us as you pray for us, as you support us in the work that God has called us to in Budapest. And so our goal in being here today is that you would be encouraged as well, that you would be encouraged firstly through the awareness that God is at work in the great city of Budapest. And secondly, that you would be encouraged by the knowledge that you are a part of what he is doing there. I want to just put a brief plug here at the beginning for our short Friday emails that we send out. Every Friday, Photo Friday can arrive in your uh, email box. It's a, a short one or two minutes uh, to read email, a photo, a piece of ministry news, and a call to prayer. And if you're not receiving those Photo Friday updates, you can stop by our table in the lobby and add yourself to the list. It's been three years since we've had the chance to visit you here at Faith, and those have been an exciting three years of ministry for us. One of the things that we're encouraged about is that God, by his grace, has given us the opportunity to be a part of planting a new church, which is called Agora Geliet, which this December will celebrate its second birthday. We're also encouraged by the fact that the team of laborers, gospel workers, that God has called me to lead in Budapest has grown to become 13 men and women who are faithfully serving in a variety of contexts, making disciples and inviting people to know Jesus and to experience him in the context of community. We're involved in multiplying disciples and churches. And finally, we're encouraged by the fact that God has led our family to take a unique and new step. Right before we left Hungary in July, we moved to a new apartment in a new part of the city, what we believe to be a very unreached place. And so when we return to Budapest in December, we're going to begin putting down roots in that neighborhood and doing what we believe will be the cultivating work of that hard soil there in that unreached area in the hopes that God will one day establish a new fellowship of believers there. So it's been an exciting season of ministry, and we're eager for what God will do in the months ahead. We can talk more about that. If you want to stop by our table or talk to me afterwards, I'd love to, to share more. Well, I want to show you a photo that I took several years ago when I had the chance to visit Rome. My wife and I were invited on a vacation that other people paid for uh, to experience the city of Rome and, and take in its history and its culture. And on our tour of the Vatican, I took a photo of a fountain there. It looks like this. Maybe the fountain itself isn't all that beautiful, but the inscription really captured my attention. The inscription comes from the book of Ezekiel, and it says, I saw water coming, from out, coming out from under the threshold of the temple. I, Ezekiel 47. That is a, a chapter that's of particular interest to me, and I've been, been growing in my interest, in fact, my occupation with that chapter over the past few years, because I believe that it provides such a vivid picture of how God desires for us to live our lives for the impact of our homes, for the impact of our churches in the communities around us. Well, for some of us today, Ezekiel is probably a bit of an obscure book in the Bible. It might rank among those pages that are a little bit stuck together because they don't get opened that often. And so if that's the case for you, I just want to provide a few words of context. So the prophet Ezekiel wrote this book around the year 587 BC. This was the time in which the armies of Babylon came to Jerusalem and they demolished the city. They took the Jewish people who lived there into captivity in Babylon and they left Jerusalem, the city of God, lying in rubble. So an enormous part, enormous amount of our Old Testament is occupied with talking about this catastrophic event the book of Ezekiel, the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, 
all the major prophets, many of the minor prophets also, talk about what's gone on, how God could have allowed this to happen, and what is happening as God brings that city back into restoration. There's piles and piles and piles of context that we might be interested in as we come to this passage today, but rather than take out our telescope and look at the breadth of things, we're going to take a microscope and we're going to look closely at this one text, Ezekiel 47. In the chapters that precede this chapter for today, Ezekiel has been in the midst of a a vision in which he's been shown around a new, a a marvelous, a magnificent temple. This vision is, is vivid, it's complex, it's detailed, and takes six chapters for Ezekiel to recount for us everything we need to know about the structure of this temple, its furnishings, the practices that happen there. We know that for Ezekiel, he would have been fascinated by this vision because he himself was a priest. He was from the family of, of Levi, and he was occupied with, with the temple and, and the proper functioning of everything that went on there. It's particularly interesting, then, that at the end of the vision, we shift from a, a story that's been taking place within the walls of the temple to a story that takes place outside the temple. And that's where we find ourselves at chapter 47 and verse 1. So let me read for us those 12 verses. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and he led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand cubits and now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creature will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Enegliam. There will be places for the spreading of nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river, Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. Let's pray. Holy God, we are so blessed again this day for the opportunity to open your word. Time and time and time again, we have experienced Your word proved to be true, something it says of itself, that it is living and active, that it is sharp enough to pierce to the darkest 
places in our hearts. Father, we need to hear from you today. We invite your work among us. Father, I confess that I am inadequate for this task today, so my personal prayer is that in my inadequacy that you would show yourself to us. Be honored by the things we say and do in this place. Be honored by our lives, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, the main character, if you will, in Ezekiel's vision here is a temple. And so in order for us to find the meaning that God has for us today in this passage, I want to begin by defining just a bit about what the whole of the Bible means when it speaks of a temple, okay? So first of all, I would say that in a most basic sense, a temple is the dwelling place of God. There have been several of these structures throughout human history. The first of these structures wasn't permanent, rather it was a tent, a tent that was constructed during the time of Moses, a tent that was called the tabernacle. That noun for tabernacle being derived from the verb, which means to dwell. God dwelled in the tent. Well, if we fast forward several hundred years, we find that King David has a desire to build on the face of the earth a home for God's presence, an earthly dwelling place for God, a temple. But David has been a king of war and a king of violence, and so rather than allowing that vision to be fulfilled during David's reign, God instead allows for that vision to come to fruition during the reign of David's son, Solomon. That physical temple is known as Solomon's temple, and that is the temple that was destroyed in 587 BC when Ezekiel is writing his book. When the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, they brought the entire city to ruins. They hauled the Jewish people away into captivity. The Babylonians were eventually captured by the Persians, and it turns out that the Persians weren't necessarily so keen to have a bunch of Jewish refugees living in their city, and so they began to send the Jewish people back to Jerusalem, not only to send them back, but to finance the reconstruction that was necessary because the Babylonians had destroyed things. So in our Bibles, we discover the fact that Nehemiah is associated with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And Ezra is associated with rebuilding the temple. So the temple that Ezra rebuilt is known as Ezra's temple or sometimes as Herod's temple. Why? Well, because Herod, the same Herod who was king when Jesus was born, took Ezra's temple and made it more magnificent. That temple was destroyed as well, not by the Babylonians, but by the Romans in AD 70. And so for 2,000 years... There has not been a building on the face of the planet that either Christians or Jews have referred to as a temple. So it's here at this point, with that little race through history, that we acknowledge a question that's often asked. You might be asking this question as well. Will there one day be on earth a place known as the temple in Jerusalem somewhere else? It's a question that receives a lot of discussion and debate And this passage itself is oftentimes used in that conversation. But my interest today in this passage, and the reason why I believe that it's really a remarkable one for us to consider when we think about our lives and our homes and our neighborhoods, isn't eschatological. That's going to be the biggest word I will use today, eschatological. It's not about end times. It's not about prophecy. It's not about physical structures. 
but rather the point of this passage is for those of us who are followers of Jesus and it's about our own lives. So in order to make that connection for us, I want us to turn our attention to the way that the Bible speaks, not about temples made of brick and mortar, but about temples built of flesh and bone. First of all, we see scripture referring to Jesus as a temple, a flesh and bone temple. Jesus says this of himself. John 2.19, Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it within three days. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 6, something better than the temple is here. In both cases, he's talking about himself, referring to himself, his body, as a temple. Well, also in Scripture, we're giving a picture of the fact that each individual believer is a temple. This comes naturally by extension of the fact that Jesus himself is a flesh and blood fulfillment of the temple. And so now, all those who are in Christ... All those who are little Christs, all those who are Christians, are the temple. The Apostle Paul helps us see this in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, where he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Well, finally, we see the church as a community of believers referred to as the temple. Again, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, for we, we are the temple of the living God. And elsewhere in Ephesians 2, chapter 9, or verse 19 through 22, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Holy Spirit. Now, I've raced through a lot of material there, but the point is to prepare us to understand that it is altogether reasonable and right to receive Ezekiel's vision of the river flowing from the temple as a picture of how God desires to use his people, those who are in Christ, those who are the living stones from which the temple of his presence is being built to impact the world. So let's make several observations about the river in Ezekiel's vision. Let's look at the source of the water, the flow of the water, and the characteristics of the water. First of all, the source. We see in this vision that the water flows from the temple itself. We get this idea that somehow, miraculously, the temple, the building, is the source of the water. Now, we know that rivers always have some kind of a source, don't we? I live in Budapest. The Danube River flows through Budapest, and the source of the Danube River is a spring in Germany. The source of the Nile River in Africa is Lake Victoria, which is in Kenya and Uganda and Tanzania. Here in the Midwest, the source of the Mississippi River is Lake Itasca in Minnesota. In every case, a body of water, a lake, a river, a spring, serves as, serves as the source of a river. It's how nature works. Rivers don't start from sand. They don't start from dirt. They don't start from concrete. They don't start from stones. 
They don't start from buildings. But Ezekiel's vision describes a river whose source is a building. It's unusual. It's unexpected. It's not as if there wasn't water inside the temple, inside Solomon's temple. In fact, in that temple, the one that was destroyed in 587 BC, there was a large pool of water. It was called the sea. It was used for ceremonial washing. It stood in the southeast corner of the building. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, maybe, to call this container of water a sea. It was perhaps five meters in diameter. But it's interesting to note the fact that in the ancient world, in Ezekiel's world, in Solomon's world, the sea was a metaphor for chaos and death. Bad things happened in the sea. And here in the temple, the place of ceremonial washing is somehow called the sea. It's like God is finding a way to say, listen, that thing that for you is a picture of chaos and death is now ruled over by some kind of a new cosmos, this cosmos of, of my presence. Well, secondly, the flow of the river. We get this impression that what begins as a very insignificant, really, trickle of water eventually becomes a river that's so deep that can only be crossed by swimming. From the south doors of the temple, where the water was just dripping out, the man leads Ezekiel 1,000 cubits, 450 meters or so, and the water is up to his ankles, another 450 meters, and it's up to his uh, knees, another 450 meters is up to his waist, finally another 450 meters, and the river can only be crossed by swimming. Several places in Scripture, we get a picture of how God's work oftentimes begins with small things, don't we? Jesus talked about a mustard seed, which in his day was the smallest seed that was in ordinary, everyday use. People knew how small a mustard seed was, and people knew how large a mustard plant usually grew to be. But Jesus describes a mustard seed that grew to become a plant that was so large that birds lived in it. It's a story of unexplainable, unexpected growth from a very, very small thing, from a trickle of water, a mighty river. Zechariah, in chapter 4, says that we should not despise the day of small things. So, friends, we should be careful not to underestimate the kind of impact that a small trickle of water might have. Well, finally, the characteristics of the river. In Ezekiel's vision, the water that begins as a trickle from under the doors of the temple becomes a mighty river that rushes into the Dead Sea, death again. Nothing was able to live in the Dead Sea because it was filled with salt water. No plant life, no animal life, nothing. But when this river reaches the, wet, the Red Sea, the salty water becomes fresh and life begins to fill a sea which was once a place of death. Every type of fish lives in the water, providing not only food but work for fishermen. Fruit trees grow all along the river. They bear fruit in every season. They provide a rich supply of food, and not only that, but they provide healing for all kinds of diseases. I'm captivated by this phrase, where the water flows, everything will live. It's beautiful. Well, you might remember that Jesus himself spoke about living water, life-giving water. The first time is in John chapter 4, where he's meeting up with the Samaritan woman at the well in the middle of the day, and they have this interesting discussion about how the water that the woman is raising up out of the well to drink will one day leave her thirsty. But the water that Jesus comes to bring will never 
cause thirst to happen again. In fact, Jesus even says provocatively that whoever drinks that water will become like a spring, a fountain. Living water will will flow out of them, bringing about eternal life. The same idea comes out again in John chapter 7. At this time, Jesus is visiting Jerusalem during the festival of booths, the festival of tabernacles. And water turns out to be a very, very significant element in the celebration of that feast. So something remarkable happens in John's gospel where Jesus and John the gospel writer reference back to Ezekiel in a very, very powerful way. So on the first day of this feast, there's a great procession as all the priests go from the temple down to the pool of Siloam. They're carrying these enormous empty jars of water They fill them there at the pool, and they carry them back to the temple in order to provide water to last for the entire feast. There's music, there's shouts of praise, following the priests all the way down and all the way back. Well, on the final day of the festival, the priests circle the altar seven times with the jars of water. And on the final circle, they pour the water onto the floor of the temple. Now, can we imagine what would happen in this place, out in the lobby, if we dumped enormous jugs of water onto the floor? Where would that water end up? Perhaps it would begin to flow out the door. And John shows us that exactly, precisely at that moment, Jesus stands up and cries, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's John 7, 37 and 38. I don't think Jesus could have made any clearer reference to Ezekiel 47. John goes on to explain for us that in speaking about that flow of water, that living water, Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God that lives inside every one of us who has become a new creation through the work of Jesus. So all of this, all of this, every little detail that I shared, if we take it together, it points us towards the understanding that in Ezekiel's vision of the river flowing from the temple, we are being given a clear, a vivid picture of how God desires to use his people, those who are in Christ, those who are the living stones from which the temple of his presence is being built, how God desires to use us to impact the world. Those people in whom God has placed his spirit so that it flows out of them into the world. Well, I'd like for us to draw a couple of applications from this truth, personal and collective. First of all, let's see that the water flows outside the walls of the temple. We've already noted how important the temple was for Ezekiel. He was a priest. He was a temple worker. He was a person who had devoted his entire life to making sure that everything that happened within the walls of this building were done properly, were done in a way that honored God. So I think it's very, very powerful that this picture takes place outside the temple, beyond its walls in the world Yes, friends, we as individuals are the temple of the living God. But this is not a text about our own private Christian life. 
This is a text about the impact of our lives. In Jesus' words, this is a text about the streams of living water that are flowing out of us. Likewise, yes, we as the church collectively, corporately, we are the temple of the living God. But this is not a text about what happens within the walls of our church. This is not a text that gives us a picture of our Sunday morning gatherings. Rather, this is a text about what happens as this life-giving water flows out from under the doors of this place, out from under the doors of our home, into our neighborhoods, into Manhattan. This is a text about the living water that springs up out of our lives and floods over the people that God has placed around us. Well, another application. The water brings life. Oftentimes when I stand along the Danube River in my city in Budapest, I'm amazed at the freedom of the water. In Budapest, there are these enormous walls which have been constructed to contain the water every spring as the level rises and to keep the water from from spilling out into the city. But if you stand along the Danube and you watch the river, you see how fast it moves. You see how powerful it is. It can carry cruise ships and cargo ships and enormous pieces of trash, huge trees just float effortlessly down the Danube River. Ezekiel's river is equally powerful, not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. You see, just as for Ezekiel, who was a priest, the temple was the center of Jerusalem, the center of his life, God's presence at the center of that society. For us as Christians, God's presence is the center of our lives as well as the Holy Spirit dwells inside us. And so from a God-centered life, a powerful river flows. That river has the power to take a dead life and a dead land and make it come alive. When the waters of Ezekiel's river reach the Dead Sea, it is transformed into a place that is overflowing with life. When we hear this, we should be reminded of the transformation that the gospel has made in our own lives as well, shouldn't we? If we are truly in Christ, if, if we are truly new creations, then each one of us has a story of death to life. In one place, the Apostle Paul describes the transformation in this way, where he says that we were once dead in our sin and our rebellion against God, and at that time he chose us, and he made us alive in Christ. And as Christians, we've become ambassadors of this gospel message And in fact, we've been given a responsibility that that death-to-life message should flow out of us like a life-giving stream. I want to pose three questions as we come to the end. First of all, a question for you as an individual. If you believe that you are the temple of God because his presence lives in you, then how is this life-giving, transformational water flowing out from under the threshold of your life? This is something to think about and pray about in the days ahead. As I've thought about that question in my own life, in my own neighborhood, in the community of believers that I take part, a quote from Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary to India, has become impactful. Leslie Newbegin challenged Christians to live in the kingdom of God in such a way 
that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the only answer. Live in such a way as to provoke questions for which the gospel is the only answer. So I ask myself and I ask you, what would it take for people to look at my life, to look at your life and be prompted to ask some kind of a question that can only be answered by speaking the gospel? Secondly, a question for faith as a community. If we believe corporately that this church is the temple of God because he's building it out of living stones, then how is that life-giving, transformational water flowing out from under the threshold of this place into the community? Friends, it sounds as if that's happening. I'm delighted to hear that. I commend you for how you're thinking about what is flowing from this place into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into Manhattan. And then finally, another personal question just, just for you. I've mentioned several times today that for Christians, we have a death-to-life story. And so I feel as if I must ask you, have you experienced the power of the gospel to make that change in your life? All of us were once dead in our rebellion against God, that rebellion that the Bible calls, calls sin. But through Jesus, we can be made alive. Jesus said he came to bring more and better life. We can experience that now and for forever. And from that more and better life, a spring of living water begins to flow from inside of us to the world around us. If you haven't experienced that new life yet, I know that there are many here in this place who would be thrilled to help you learn more. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the change that you've made in our lives. We thank you for the impact of the gospel in our lives. That once we were dead, once we were your enemies, and through Jesus you've made a way for us to be restored to you, to be adopted as your sons and daughters. God, you've called us to be a part of your chosen people. And as your people, you've given us a task to proclaim your excellencies as the one who brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. I pray that you would work in us in a new and a fresh way to cause that life-giving flow of water to flow from us into the world around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.